So reading from James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you, but you have dishonored the poor. Is not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jay. So when I was, uh, well, when the kids were still in the home, or all of the kids, let's say, were still in the home, uh, we would sometimes have these special family meetings. I don't know if you ever have special family meetings or special meetings. But we would uh, basically ask everyone to come into the living room and we would talk about some important issue. Uh, the issue could be a lot of things. It could be some special announcement. It could be uh, a conflict that had to be resolved. It might be one of the kids or a family member that needed encouragement but we would call everyone into the room and we would just talk and discuss things. And I, I can't help but think that as we look at this passage, actually the entire book of James, but particularly this passage, that it sounds a lot like a special family meeting. <laughs> it does. Look at verse 1. My brothers and sisters. Look at verse 5. My dear brothers and sisters. So everything that that James is going to say here in chapter 2, these verses, it's nested in the context of family. James has got something to say. He's addressing head-on a really serious issue that had crept into the churches in his day, and it's an issue that had become a pattern. And it's an issue that can become a pattern in any church. And it can become an issue and a pattern in this church. And the issue is this, it's the sin of playing favorites. And let me be more specific. It is the sin of treating people who are wealthy better 
than those who are poor. And James says that this is sin. And it's also completely at odds with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, brothers and sisters, those who believe in our glorious Savior Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism. Like the, the life of the believer, okay, the life of a follower of Jesus Christ could not be more at odds than showing partiality or favorites in the church when it comes to the wealthy and, and the poor. And we're going to look this morning and see three reasons why, why being a Christian and showing favoritism in the church are completely at odds. Now remember, this is a family conversation, okay? It's a special meeting. The first is this, that, that favoritism is at odds with how God sees people. And it's also, secondly, it's at odds with God's heart for the poor. And then third, we'll see that it's also at odds with God's very own law. Now, before we dive in, here's my hope. Here's my hope, family, that, that this word this morning is going to shape us as a community. It's going to shape us and change us. It's going to impact the way that we, we see people, and particularly the way that we see the poor. That's my hope this morning. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm preaching this passage. And I hope that's why you're here listening to it this morning. All right. So first, favoritism is at odds with the way God sees people. Now, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that we're in a worship service. That shouldn't be hard. Okay. <laughs> Groan. But I do want you to imagine that. Imagine you're in a worship service and uh, you're in a rented room because that's where people would typically go to church in the first century if you were a Jewish Christian. And in through the door come two people. But one is clearly doing well. He's clearly doing well. And you can tell because of the enormous golden ring that's hanging off his finger. And you can also tell just by the cut of his clothes and the fabric that this guy is doing well. I mean, it's hard to miss him. You do a double take when this guy walks in the room. But then there's this other guy who comes in. And this guy, he's, 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 he's easy to miss. Or you, you could ignore him, let's say. And this guy's not doing as well financially. All right? His clothes are dirty. They're filthy. And if you're wondering why he doesn't clean them, you're assuming that he can afford detergent. And you're assuming that cleaning his clothes is at the top of his priorities. In both cases, you would be wrong. When the wealthy guy comes in, you spring to your feet. You walk over, you greet him, and you bring him to the reserve seating where, where you just happen to be sitting. But the other guy, the poor guy, you say to him, Listen, I'm sorry, but we don't have a seat for you here this morning, but there are a couple of options for you. One, you can stand at the back of the room, or you can come and sit on the ground here by my feet. And your words are not lost on the poor person. He knows what you're saying. He hears the message. And the message is very clear. 
you two guys are in a totally different league. This guy has more value. This person is more important. And nothing, nothing in, in, in this guy's mind is missing that point. He hears it. He hears it loud and clear. And James says here in verse 1 that if we do this, if we play favorites, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If we do this with the poor, if we do this with people who come in who we know are not doing well, what we are doing is this. We're putting people into little groups, different groups, the rich and the poor, based on nothing, nothing, but, but outward appearance and social standing. You go in this group and you go in that group. And friends, hear this. We do it all the time, all the time. Have I ever told you about the ladder? No? Okay, I'll tell you about the ladder. I want you to picture a ladder. A ladder leaning up against a solid brick wall. And here's what we do. <clears throat> we take <clears throat> things that are just different. They're, they're, not, they're neither good nor bad. They're just, they're just different. Things like uh, gender, things like skin color, uh, things like earning power. And what we do is this. We put them on different rungs on this ladder. And, and the ones that are higher up are of more value than the ones that are, are beneath. And we do this. And we do it a lot. Now, I want to give you some measurements. May I? The ladder is 10 feet. The wall is 100 feet. The ladder is leaning against a 100-foot brick wall. And it does nothing. It has no purpose. It's completely useless. But we do this. We do this. We put people on different rungs of this ladder, and that includes the rich and the poor. And there's no purpose or point to this ladder except to dehumanize everybody and to dishonor the poor. And James says... How can you do that? How can you transform a worship service into a courtroom where you are presiding as judge in your gold, your black robes, and where you're judging and putting people into these little categories which inevitably shame and hurt the poor? That's not how God sees people. When God looks at people, he doesn't put them into little categories. He doesn't put them on a ladder. He hates the ladder. He came to kick the ladder out. That's why he came. Listen, when God sees people, he doesn't just see their outward appearance. He sees deeper. He sees people made in the image of God, whether rich or poor. He sees right down deep. As people who possess inherent worth, period. Because they are made 
by God because they bear his image, not because of what they're dressing, not what they're wearing, not because of anything except because he simply made them and loves them. I think we need to see people differently. I don't know about you, but I know about me. I don't always see people deeply. Sometimes I get hung up on the surface. Sometimes I get hung up on the superficial. Sometimes I, I can't see beyond the clothing and the gold ring or the dirty clothes. And, and, and God is asking us to, to look differently. Listen, as those who are following Jesus Christ, as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have been loved by him and changed by him, who've been given a new identity in Christ, hear this. He's given us new eyes, a new way of seeing, a, a new way of seeing people, not superficially, not in little categories, not on a, on a stupid ladder, but seeing people as they actually are and seeing them deeply. James is telling us to look deeper. Do you see that? Look deeper. Well, the first reason is, is pretty clear. God sees people differently than we do. Here's a second reason why favoritism is completely at odds with being a follower of Jesus Christ. How are we doing? Doing okay? I remember this is a family meeting. Okay. <laughs> it's a family meeting. Dear brothers and sisters, favoritism is at odds with the way that God sees people, uh, um, with his heart for um, the poor. His, his heart for the poor. In James chapter 2, verse 5, he says this. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Listen, listen, listen. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom promised to those who love him? I'll just read that again in case you went somewhere else. Okay, listen to this. Come on back. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom promised to those who love him? Did you know? that by far and away, the vast majority of people who have ever followed Jesus Christ have been poor. Did you know that? I mean, like far and away. When Jesus was here and doing his earthly ministry, uh, the people that were attracted to his ministry were largely poor. On the day of Pentecost, when thousands of people came into the church, they were poor. They were so poor that wealthy Christians, wealthy Christians, had to give away their land and their property just to provide for the church. When you look around the world today and you look at where the gospel is exploding, I mean exploding, in Asia, in parts of Africa, and in Latin America, listen, it's, it's, it's amongst the poor. It's amongst the poor. Now, let me be clear. I want to be clear here. The gospel is for the wealthy and the poor. Okay, so during Q&A, don't, don't like shoot me because I'm down on the, on the wealthy. That's not what I'm saying. The Bible says that God's love and grace is for everybody, whether you're wealthy or poor. Okay? I'm just saying that God's word says it, it's, it's, it's difficult if you're wealthy 
to become a Christian. Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to inherit eternal life. Why? It is so hard when you have wealth to see your desperate spiritual poverty. It's, it, I mean, wealth can be blinding. It can blind you to your, your deep inner poverty. And, and you, can, you can confuse your riches with, with what makes you valuable. It can be so hard for a person to finally admit that, that what makes them valuable is not what they have, but what God can make them into. But that takes humility. And it requires that a man, a woman, comes to the end of themselves and says, I have sinned against you, and I need Jesus. I need your son to be my savior. That is so hard for so many who are wealthy. That's what Jesus said. Why then is the gospel exploding in so many places around the world where people are poor? And why is it that the church historically has been comprised largely of people who are poor. I think it's this. I think they finally hear a message they have never heard before. They live in a world where they've been told that they're not worth anything because they're here on the ladder. And they have heard that message day in and day out their entire lives. Listen, I not two weeks ago, I'm at I'm at a stop sign, a lights. And a gentleman starts weaving his way through the traffic with a sign. He's looking for help. And the guy beside me opens up his window and says to him, get a job. Get a job. It didn't matter who this guy was. It didn't matter what his story was. It didn't matter where he got to, how he was brought to that edge that took him over. Because as far as this guy was concerned, he was just a poor bum who needed to get a job. Men, when when the poor hear, when the poor hear that God has chosen them, you know, and loves them just as they are, and loves them regardless of their earning power, It is such a a liberating message. And to hear that God is not angry with them, that their poverty is not evidence of God's anger, but that God actually loves them and has chosen them and wants them and wants them near to him, it's a fantastic message. And is it any surprise that so many who are so poor in our world are glomming on to the good news of the gospel? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. It turns out, friends, that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gets poverty. He gets it. Man, he grew up in poverty. I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, we're told his daddy was a, was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. And I, I think that carpentry in that day was not the same as it is today in terms of how it was viewed. Okay, And I'm guessing that there were probably a few nights in Jesus' family's life where there were some empty stomachs when the kids, his brothers and his sisters, went to bed. I know this for sure. 
that when Jesus Christ turned 30 and when he began his public ministry, for three years he was homeless. For three years he was broke. And when he was crucified, they took the only clothing that he, that he owned. I think Jesus Christ gets poverty. <laughs> I do. I think he gets it. I think Jesus gets poverty in a way that nobody gets poverty. You know why? Because God's word says this in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through, that we through our poverty might become rich. That's it. Do you see that? The greatest richest drag story he left heaven becoming a human being lived a life of poverty and experienced infinite poverty on the cross to make you spiritually wealthy i think he gets it and i believe that god's heart goes out to the poor and many it says many are chosen Many are made rich in faith. Many are made heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Many. I don't know about you, but I know about me, and I think I need a heart change. I mean, I'm hearing God's heart here in this passage. I'm hearing a God who loves those who are poor, a God who moves towards those who are poor, who has chosen those who are poor to make them rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And I want that heart. I don't know that I have that heart. And I think that's probably shown in the way that I interact with those who are not as well off as as I am. And I want that heart. I want the heart of Christ, and I want that heart for you this morning as well. And I think we got to be a people who pray. Like, I just don't know how else to get this heart into me except to pray and to say, Father, I want the heart of Jesus. I, I, want, I want to love and accept uh, those who are poor. I want to move towards them and not away from them. I want to be able to see them as they are, so valuable and loved by you. And man, I just I want us to be a church that thinks that way. And I want us to be a church where when God sends people to us who are poor, that they don't walk into this worship service, into this church, and then walk out again without ever being said, hey, hello. What's your name? Where are you from? And moving towards them and accepting them just as they are and not letting things get in the way of that. Right? I mean, Jesus did not let anything get in his way when it came to loving people. He's loved people and loved the poor and it wasn't an issue for him. It just... He just loved them and accepted them. And man, oh God, that we could be that kind of church.
Yeah. And when God gives us opportunities, when he sends people to us, when he gives us a trust, and it is a trust, when God brings someone to us who's not doing super well financially, that we don't just say, well, God bless, and I hope it all works out, but that we actually get into their lives and see how they're doing and, and how can I help and how can I bless you and how can I be a conduit and how can I be an agent of grace in your life to communicate God's love? How are we doing? It's a family meeting. <laughs> It's a family meeting. Hey, listen, I mean, he's, he's not here just to scold you. That's not the point. He wants you to grow. He wants all of us to grow. He wants us to be human. He wants us to take care of people who are hurting. Because you're hurting too in some way, aren't you? God's been good to you. Here's a third reason. Favoritism is at odds with God's law. With God's law. You know, there were two big laws in the Old Testament that every Jew would know. The first was the Shema. Um, It's called the Shema because it's the first word in that command. It's a Hebrew word. It means listen. And it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, and your strength. And then there was another law that was very famous. We might know it as the golden rule. James calls it the royal law, and it's taken from Leviticus 19.18, and it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, I believe it was, that all of the laws, all of the commandments of God hang on on these two laws. And James says, listen, if, you, if you're keeping this, this law, this royal law, the law to love your neighbor as yourself, hey, you're doing great. You're doing great. But <laughs> if you break the law at one point, you're actually you're guilty of breaking the whole law. Because the law is a package. The law is a package. To break any part of that law is to break the whole law itself. How does that work? Okay. So I invite myself over to your house for dinner, as I do. I invite myself over to your house for dinner. You've gone to all the trouble of making a great meal. And it's time for dinner. And so you ask me to sit down. Now, I'm a little clumsy. And I aggressively sit myself down. And in doing so, I snap the back left leg off your chair. I hold up the, the leg and say to you, wow, it could have been worse. And you're like, how could it be worse? You've broken the chair. I said, I've only broken the leg. You get the point I'm making. To break one part of the law is to break the entire law of God. It's as though you've broken every law. And God calls you a lawbreaker. That's bad news. It's bad news. If you say, I haven't committed adultery, but I've committed murder. You're still a lawbreaker. That's not a good thing because God is a just God. And when anyone stands before God on the last day 
and all we have to defend ourselves is our moral record, God says, even for one sin, for one sin, I declare you a lawbreaker. And the wages of lawbreaking are death, eternal death. I think we like to sometimes play fast and loose with God's laws. I think that sometimes we think that some laws are, yeah, I should, I should really keep those. Other ones, it's okay if I break them. It's not a big deal. But James says that showing favorites is a big deal. If we're playing favorites and we are honoring the wealthy and dishonoring the poor, that we are lawbreakers. And that's not good news because the wages of sin is death. But now listen to what he says next. Listen to this. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. What's that? It's not the royal law. The royal law brings death, right? This is the gospel. This is a different law. This is a law that brings freedom. This is a law that brings life. And God has brought this law into this world through his son, Jesus Christ, by living a perfect life and dying a perfect death in your place so that you can have eternal life with God. And so that on the last day, you will not be judged by God's law of love, but by his law that brings liberty, the gospel. And that, my friends, that message has got to get into our hearts. It is going to be the thing that transforms our lives because those who get that message will show mercy. And God says, if you choose to not show mercy, in other words, if you choose to live the way of the law that brings death, there will be no mercy. But if we live By this law, this gospel law, where we know we've been forgiven, we believe we've been forgiven, we believe that God has showed mercy to us in Christ, it will change us forever. And it will change the way that we live. It will change the way that we speak. It will change the way that we interact with everybody, and especially those who are poor. The good news is this, friends. That even though judgment and mercy seem to conflict, God found a way for mercy to win in Jesus Christ for you. Though you were poor, yet for your sakes he became poor to make you spiritually rich, and you are. And one day you will stand before God, and he will see Christ And he will welcome you into heaven forever and ever and into the new heavens and the new earth. And he's done that for you in Christ. Now let that message soak into your hearts and into my heart. And let it change you and change us and change our church and change the culture of our church. So that everybody who walks through that door, everybody who walked through that door, whether rich or poor, but maybe especially poor, knows that there is a place for them, knows that there's a seat here with their name on it, 
knows that they are loved, knows that they're welcomed, just as they are, period. And man, I believe that if we could be that church, and I think we are, but we got to grow. We have to grow. That God will be pleased to send people through that door as a trust, as a blessing, as an honor. People that we can love and be loved by. People we can learn about and learn from. And together, live and splash around in this thing called grace and in the love of Jesus Christ and in the law that brings liberty. Okay. Well, enough talking. Let me pray for you. Father, you know that this has to be one of the more difficult passages in all of Scripture. And Lord, it uh, feels incredibly uncomfortable. And uh, I think that's good, Lord. To the degree that it needs to be uncomfortable, Lord, let it be uncomfortable. Lord, we want to be a church that sees people and sees them deeply. And a church that moves towards people, welcomes them no matter who they are, where they are, what they look like, what their social status is, and their earning power. Help us to see with your eyes, oh God. Help us to love with your heart. Help us to speak and act according to the gospel. We pray, Father, that we will become the church, more and more become the church that you want us to be. Grow us, stretch us, mold us, make us into a church that is worthy of the name church and a church that blesses the city that you've put us in to glorify your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.